are entering the Freedom Hut. The Democrats are kicking it off with a debate tonight. Going to be a bunch of second-tier scrubs for the most part, but we'll talk about how they're going to position themselves, what messages the loony left will present, plus the showdown at the border. Let's take a little trip down memory lane. What did Obama used to say about this stuff? And, oh, by the way, whatever happened, there is no crisis. We've got that and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. Buck Sexton. Your mission, decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make, make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's like I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I will be bold without the bold. Hey everybody, we're at Chema's in El Paso, uh, getting a haircut. This is about the closest I'll probably ever have in my life to an I am Spartacus moment. Hold on a sec, I'm gonna get me um, a beer. My name's Joe Biden, I'm running for, in this case, running for President of the United States. Look me over. If you like what you see, help out, if not, vote for the other person. I think it's so appropriate that you gave us all the same t-shirt, because I believe our candidates are a part of the Avengers. We're here to save America. The Republicans, that's the hunger game. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Gave you a little taste of the Democrat Party there. Woo! Yeah! It's real, uh, a real bunch of uh, misfits running around here saying they should be president. We got the debate coming up tonight. Hopefully I'll be in a... Mood and a position to live tweet some of it. So those of you who are on Twitter will get some of that action going. But it'll be fun to watch the Democrats try to out-lefty each other. That's what this is going to turn into. Going to try to out-lefty one another. Because these are the candidates who, uh, with a couple of exceptions, are real progressive long shots. Uh, There is no real chance that they're going to win anything. And here's the lineup, just so we're all on the same page. You got Cory Booker. I am Spartacus. Bill de Blasio. Also known as Kaiser Wilhelm de Blasio, because that was his name growing up. It was Warren Wilhelm. Yeah, guten Tag. He changed his name to Bill de Blasio. Uh, Julian Castro, because he thinks he should run. John Delaney. How many of you could think of anything John Delaney has ever done? I will tell you, I actually interviewed John Delaney. Doesn't seem like a bad guy and not completely insane left wing guy. But that means he's got no chance. The funny thing is, for the Democrats right now, unless you are wacko, you're really not of interest to them. You can't be, uh, hey, I live in the real world. I've done some successful things. I'm a little socially liberal, but... Fiscally conservative and believe in, believe in strong national defense. Those people are now called Republicans. <laughs> Those people are called moderate Republicans. There are no Democrats anymore like that. Not serious ones. Not Democrats that have any real sway in the party. So, but John Delaney's out there. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, whom I like, if nothing else, because so many in the, on so many in the Democrat establishment just hate her have a real problem with her. And they really try to trash her with the whole Assad visit and, Meeting with him, and you know, I, I, I like some things about Tulsi Gabbard. And no, not just that she's cool and she surfs and she's from Hawaii. Although I do like all those things too. There's some stuff about Tulsi Gabbard that 
is appealing uh, on a policy level. I think that she understands that we shouldn't have any more Mideast wars, for example. That's good news. Jay Inslee's running. Hi, I'm Jay Inslee. Like, who, who even knows what that's all about? Amy Klobuchar. If I'm Amy Klobuchar, I stand up on stage and I have a big salad. Not a normal size salad, not a side salad. I have a big salad. And I ask someone in the audience to give me a really well-used comb or hairbrush. I know, it's gross. And, and I'd say that I, I left my fork at home and I'm just going to go for it. And just stand on national TV and just eat that salad with the used comb. Because we know that's how Amy Klobuchar likes to roll. And then I would throw it at someone in the front row and say, get me a water. <laughs> Classic Klobuchar. Beto O'Rourke? Um, but yeah, Beto is like, he's like so upset about all the things. Cause like, he's not nearly as like famous and as doing on the polls as he should be. Robert Francis is also what people are calling him, which is like so mean. Beto O'Rourke is probably going to be, I'm going to make a little prediction. I'm going to make a little prediction here. The two people that come out of this tonight, everyone's going to say, well, they're the winner as if there's a winner. Better O'Rourke and Elizabeth Warren. Um, but Better O'Rourke is going to, I think he's going to get a little bit of a wind here, and then I think he's going to fade away again. But people are going to go, oh, yeah, that guy. He kind of looks like, a, you know, a 90s, what do you call them, a singer-songwriter guy, you know? Yeah, I played in a band, and I was like an au pair on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and now I want to run the country. Uh, and then uh, Tim Ryan who who even knows what this guy is or what he's doing or anything else. And then, of course, Elizabeth Warren. The only double-digit candidate tonight is Elizabeth Warren, who there's a part of me, I know you're going to get mad at me, but there's a part of me that has a little bit of a like, wow, she's still in this? This is serious? She's not going away. She's like the unself-aware super lib terminator who just it does she does not feel pain or sadness or remorse and she absolutely will not stop until you admit she's native american i mean she just doesn't go away that dna results thing was the most unnecessary own goal i've ever seen in american politics it was the most random embarrassing are you kidding me thing that any because it was just there was no reason for it I mean, how, how could she think that being 1-1024th one, uh, Native American was good? Anyway, you, we, know, we all know this, right? But, but now she's, she's fighting out for the Bernie lane. And I got to tell you, you, know, you got to keep in mind, even if she doesn't win, if she becomes the progressive candidate of choice, I think if the Democrats are smart, whoever their front runner and, and, and eventual nominee turns out to be, They'll want to co-opt, want to bring in a pro the, the progressive candidate as the Veep. So Elizabeth Warren becomes a very attractive Veep candidate for whoever the nominee is here for the Democrats, even if, you know, she, obviously if she doesn't win, if she doesn't get there herself. Tomorrow we'll talk about the uh, other lineup. You got Biden, Bennett, Buttigieg, Gillibrand, Harris, Hickenlooper, Sanders, Swalwell, Williamson, and Yang. But tonight, really, uh, 
kind of a pretty lame crew tonight. Not not a lot of interesting people to see on the stage. I mean, Bill de Blasio, I think a lot of you will watch that just and say, wow, I'm glad I don't live in New York City. I can't believe that guy's in charge. <laughs> the guy's the mayor of the largest city. It is, it is amazing. It is amazing. And, you know, with Cory Booker, every time I see this guy, every time he is is on TV and doing his thing, and what I end up thinking to myself is, I understand why he's ne- he's just he's just not going to win. It's just not going to happen. There's something that always seems a little desperate, a little you know. Come on, like me. I'm I'm the guy that you should like. You know, I'm I'm cool. I'm great. I'm, you know, I say all the right things, and it just doesn't translate. I really don't. I really don't think it'll be there for him. I don't think it's going to work. I might be wrong about Beto. That's the only one that, I, that I'm kind of on, a little bit on a limb for because he's just had such a, a bad go here. He's done so much damage to his own his own brand by being a, a weirdo and then you'll have Elizabeth Warren but here's what's great about tonight other than just going through all these different candidates here's what's great about tonight it'll be for all of us who voted for Trump for all of us who even if we didn't vote for Trump are thinking about who to vote for now you will see a collection of deeply unserious in many cases, clown-like buffoons on this stage trying to appeal to the moveon.org, Daily Coast, HuffPost, Vox.com readers of the world, and in doing so, will look utterly foolish, completely ridiculous to anyone who cares about how the real world works. You're going to have talk tonight, I'm sure, about the Green New Deal, and you're going to have talk about the um, debt, you know, the, the debt forgiveness program or, you know, just erasing student loans. They're just really erasing them. It's not even, call it forgiveness, makes it sound much more structured and reasonable than it is. You have some of those things. Oh, you know what you won't get? You won't get, an, you won't get a tough question on abortion. And this is what is so different about the way the left and the right media deals with these things is that conservatives, because you know, when the Republican Party has a, an election going on, we, we end up having to go to these liberal outlets where people like John Harwood and Jake Tapper and Stephanopoulos, who are all Democrat operatives, total frauds, they get to ask questions, and they'll ask questions that will do damage to the Republican going forward, right? They'll ask things like, do you want to get rid of birth control? Or they'll ask things that, you know, whatever it is. Do you want to outlaw birth control? Remember that with Mitt Romney? Nobody was trying to outlaw birth control. Oh, but that becomes a soundbite. The Democrats will not be asked any questions that could come back to haunt them, in my opinion. That's what you'll see tonight. And just just pay attention to that. If you're looking for a little more, uh, a little more of a down in the weeds look at this, they will be trying to outdo one each other from the far left. But this will be a reminder tonight to all the serious people of America who aren't just pure ideologues and believe in all this leftist nonsense. Tonight will be a reminder that the Democratic Party has completely lost its mind. That the stuff they talk about is unserious. That the folk, folk, high focuses, the things they choose to focus on are overwhelmingly things that will never happen. That are a waste of everyone's time. That are a waste of them even really talking about. But it just gets the far left so fired up. Yeah, man. We're just going to become socialists. 
I certainly hope not. Not on my watch. Not if I have anything to say about it. But it's going to be a mess up there tonight, folks. It'll be a very interesting scene. Um, so Such small sound bites, and, and they'll be very rapid fire. You have just such a crowded debate stage. So my uh, my predictions, for whatever that's worth, is you know O'Rourke and Warren come out of this thing. I think Cory Booker fades after this. I think he's probably he's probably going to be done, not right away, but he's not going to last that long. But the Democrats are crazy. That's what tonight is. A reminder: they just they're not serious anymore. This isn't the Democratic Party of ten years ago. It's not the Democratic Party you grew up with. This is some far left, uh, social justice obsessed, intersectional. Socialist Democrat mess. That's what you're going to see tonight. So, so in that sense, it'll be interesting. I, I know that the president's planning on watching it. I, I really hope the president would be willing to live tweet it. I think that would be fantastic. But I don't know. Some are telling him not to do that. Team, we got a lot more coming up here. We will, we will uh, be looking into the status of the crisis at the border, um, because there is now some supplemental funding in place. We'll get into that. And, oh, so many other things coming up on the Buck Saxon Show. Stay with me. Speaking of leftist stupidity, this is one of my favorite things to talk about, as you know. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez may have had her dumbest tweet of all time, which pretty much makes it the Mona Lisa of stupid tweets. It is a masterpiece of idiocy. Magnifique! It is the most stupid thing I have read in a long time. But first, I have to give you the background on it. You're saying, fuck, no, don't tease me like that. Tell me about the dumbest thing she's ever tweeted. No, no, no. First, we need the backstory. So there's this site called Wayfair, which has I've actually bought some stuff from Wayfair before. It has some has some nice stuff. You buy it's like uh is it kind of like Mike? Is it like a fancier IKEA? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say so. I'm not too familiar with it. I know the commercials, but yeah, that sounds that makes sense to me. It's, yeah, it's it's like it's like IKEA when you've paid off a little bit of your student loans. Okay, so Wayfair has had a walkout now, and up in Copley Square in Boston. They've had a walkout because they're upset when they found out that their company has a contract for mattresses, uh, furnishing mattresses to a detention center for migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border. Now, uh, you have hundreds of employees signed a letter saying that Wayfair has a contract for $200,000 worth of furniture, mostly mattresses from what I understand, with Health and Human Services that will be distributed to a facility in Carrizo Springs in Texas. And the Wayfair employees have gotten very upset about this, and they've said, we believe the current actions of the United States and their contractors at the southern border do not represent an ethical business partnership Wayfair should choose to be part of. And so they had this walkout. Uh, let's understand this for a second, shall we? This is a company that is creating furniture, including beds to sleep on for people in the detention centers. One of the biggest criticisms of these detention centers is that they are not well stocked enough with things like mattresses and and food. And th that is one of the biggest criticisms. That, that they're not nice enough, that they're not, you know, uh, there's not enough 
life support stuff there and, and creature comforts. So Wayfair employees in a, in a fit of self-righteousness are walking out because they don't want their company to provide the very beds that immigrant kids at the border who are crossing with their families could sleep on. I, I, how, how stupid can people be? That, what, they, would they rather them sleep on the floor? I've seen the detention facility at El Paso, and look, it's not nice. It's not a, a cozy place to be. And Border Patrol guys are bringing blankets and pillows and trying to make it better for the kids because there's no budget for it. Because they've run out of money because they're so inundated with all these illegals crossing. So they think, the Wayfair employees think that the, that the way to handle this is to make it harder for a company. Because other companies are not going to go, I don't know if I want that contract. So they don't want mattresses for the kids? What's the point of that, you idiots? Oh, speaking of idiots, this is where AOC comes in. This is the dumbest tweet that I've seen her put out. Maybe ever. Wayfair workers couldn't stomach that they were making beds to cage children. Uh, AOC, do you know how beds work? Do you understand the function of a bed? It doesn't cage people. They asked the company CEO to stop, she wrote here. CEO said no. Tomorrow they're walking out. This is what solidarity looks like. A reminder that everyday people have real power as long as we're brave enough to use it. This is moron stuff. This is a government contract to make things better for the kids at the border, to make sure that people that are detained, the families that are detained, have nice beds to sleep on where they can be comfortable and safe and everyone's okay as they get processed, as they scam our system, by the way. And they think that this is good to shut this down? I mean... Maybe what we're saying yesterday is true of not just politicians, but a lot of other Americans, too. They liked the misery at the border. They want to see the misery at the border. Better to have something to blame Trump for and scream about as a concentration camp and worse than the Nazis and all these stupid things they say. Better to have that than to deal with the problem, make people comfortable, make sure they're safe and process them in the most effective and humane way possible. This is, what the Democrats, this is what the Democrats are really all about. Self-righteousness and power. The suffering of people, they just use that as a tool. And they're also just really dumb a lot of the time, which is what happened here. Bad stuff, Wayfair. Border Patrol rescues have risen from 44 individuals all of last year to over 400 so far this year. Smugglers are often placing children in nothing more than makeshift raft or on pool toys to cross the dangerous Rio Grande River. That's what's going on here. Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed Border Patrol. And you've got Chuck Schumer. We'll talk more about this in the next hour, just how the depths they're willing to go to here to make a political point. Chuck Schumer displaying on the Senate floor this photo that went viral of two migrants that drowned. Um, Let's understand this. This is in no way something that should be put at the feet of our men and women of Border Patrol. We've seen a very similar photo, you'll recall, during the migrant surge into Europe when you had all these uh, Muslim migrants from the Middle East and North Africa who were just who were flooding into, into Europe, and there was a boy who was found drowned, and these are dangerous processes. When we tell people you can't come into the country and they decide they're coming anyway and they're going to break our laws and they're going to go through avenues and and engage 
with the criminal element, because that's what you're doing when you're paying off cartels, there are going to be bad things that happen. That's a tragedy. These kids shouldn't be put in this position, but their parents shouldn't be putting them in this position. That's a part of this as well. There, there is a, a human responsibility here that goes beyond whether we're processing people for their asylum hearings fast enough. Parents who are putting their children in this situation are putting them at risk. And I, for those of you who are thinking, well, Buck, can you really say that? Um, I'm pretty much quoting Obama from a few years ago. And we'll play that for you a little later on in the show. I mean, we're really going to look at how the Democrats used to talk about this issue. And now that the political winds have shifted, the way they talk about this issue now, it's very different. It is very different. Uh, they've abandoned previously held positions that were were central central to immigration policy now it's all of a sudden it's like they they were just kidding all well it was all really a head fake i mean it really wasn't true they were saying these things in the hopes of achieving an eventual amnesty but i mean chuck schumer showing photos of drowned children this is what we expect from democrats making this about how uh anyone who wants to enforce our immigration laws is more or less responsible for drowning children in the uh, Rio Grande. That's what he's saying. You have a man here and his 23-month-old daughter who were, who were drowning here as they, they tried to cross. And it looks terrible. But it's not our fault. This is not the... This is just the truth. It's not our fault. It's not the U.S. government's fault. It's not the American people's fault. These individuals who are coming to the border now, they know that what they're doing is breaking the law. They know it's wrong. Now, you had Brian Hastings, a Border Patrol, who I've interviewed many times, a good guy. You know, he's, a, he's just he's a law enforcement guy. He just wants to do right by people, wants to serve his country and enforce the laws. He's talking about all the rescues they're doing. I mean, Border Patrol is bending over backwards. I've been out there with them. I've seen it to do everything they can to keep all these kids safe. If someone gets in trouble out there, you know, they end up doing rescue missions. They do rescue missions because people get dehydrated. They get overheated out in the desert. Um, I heard a really tough story from Border Patrol agent about somebody that tried to jump off one of the very high fences and had essentially a double compound fracture with their kneecaps going through their knees. I mean, you know, there's bad stuff. That happens when people are trying to come. This is all through illegal immigration, folks. This is what we're talking about. You know, no, no one is is drowning because they're waiting in line at a port of entry. All right? This is all a result of illegal immigration. And then the, the question or the, the conversation should turn to how do we stop illegal immigration from occurring? Instead, what Democrats do is Republicans are big, mean meanies because they want to stop this. And look what's happening. Because you won't be open borders, people will drown when they come here. This is the moral blackmail they engage in now. Just, it's, it's indecent, it's unfair, but be prepared for a lot more of this. Democrats have one speed on immigration now, and that speed is reckless demagoguery. Absolutely reckless. That is what they will be doing. Um, speaking about uh, who defends life and who's trying to save lives, President Trump was at the Faith and Freedom Coalition today, and he spoke on this issue of life. And now I, I know that there are a lot of, particularly a lot of 
uh, religious and practicing Christians who have their concerns about Trump's personal behavior, understandably so. I do not make excuses for it. I do not pretend it's, that there's not reason to be at least extending a kind of uh, one eyebrow up at Trump on a lot of the stuff that he's done in the past. But I also think that that's put in the context of how much am I really supposed to care when he's a politician and he's pushing for an agenda that I agree with. And Trump reminded us today of how important it is to have somebody in the role that he currently fulfills who defends religious freedom and also is, in his own way, defending life. By appointing conservative constitutionalist judges, for example, he is making it more likely, and we are starting to see that this could become a reality sooner than later, uh, that there will be limitations put on abortion, that there will be some stop to the abortion on demand industry, or at least some outer limits to the abortion on demand industry that has grown and grown and grown for decades. So Trump, without being a perfect person, and none of us are perfect, is in fact acting in his public persona as the commander in chief and as the chief executive of the United States government. He is acting as a defender of life, a defender against the Democrats' insanity on this issue. Play 11. We're preserving our country's vital tradition of faith-based adoption, and we're proudly defending the sanctity of life. Unfortunately, Democrat politicians have become increasingly hostile to pro-life Americans who want to help more children find a loving home and share their dreams with the world. Virtually every top Democrat lawmaker now supports taxpayer-funded abortion right up to the moment of birth. And by the way, if you watched Virginia, the governor, after the moment of birth, that was something that nobody, that was something that nobody heard of before. Is that a lie? It's not a lie. Democrats get so upset whenever someone brings this up. The audio is very clear. It's very obvious what he's talking about. Ralph Northam, who's an MD, forget about do no harm. Ralph Northam made it quite clear that he thought that the law should say that if somebody wants to have an abortion, even if the baby survives the abortion procedure, which does happen, then that baby should be able to be terminated if that's what the mother wants. It's horrifying. Trump is not those people. He's not one of them. It's a nice reminder of it, and we'll see if this comes up tonight. I doubt it will, but we got more on this. Stay with me. There is no right to defy a congressional subpoena. Uh, the White House might assert some privilege, but when they uh, uh, revealed this, uh, a lot of the information to Mueller and even to private attorneys, they waived the privilege. So uh, I think he'll answer the questions that are put to him because it's his civic duty to do so, and he's an upstanding uh, prosecutor. Well, the irony is that precisely what Nadler wants to ask Mueller about, Mueller can't answer. He can't answer any questions about why he didn't uh, recommend prosecuting President Trump, why he didn't recommend prosecuting people who weren't prosecuted. Justice Department regulations and traditions say once a prosecutor decides not to prosecute, that's it. He keeps his mouth shut. What he can answer questions about is what's not necessarily in the report, namely the Steele dossier, the failure to properly inform the FISA court, the reasons why certain people were put on his investigating committee, those were all appropriate. So in the end, I think the Democrats are going to see this backfire. The questions they want to answer, Mueller will never answer. But the questions the Republicans want to ask, 
Mueller will have to answer because he won't have any privilege or any restrictions on what he can say. So I think this is going to backfire on the Democrats. I think the Dersh is correct. Big news yesterday that Mueller is going to testify in July. We'll come back to this in the next hour. I'm going to have a little, some more thoughts on this one for you. But I just wanted to touch on this for, for a moment here. Uh, first of all, the idea that he wasn't going to testify, that Mueller wasn't going to testify, is crazy. Of course he should testify. What's the point of all this? How can you have any hearings on the Hill and pretend they're serious if it's not going to result in this guy giving answers about anything? But beyond that, I think that Trump is, I, I believe that he's been holding in reserve the declassification of some of the stuff, specifically the, uh, the FISA, uh, the FISA warrants. And because and, that's just when that stuff finally drops, it's going to drop like an anvil. When that finally happens, people are going to say, oh, my gosh, this was such a I, I, we already know it's a setup. It'll be the proof of the setup. It'll be a beyond a reasonable doubt proof. That this was all along a, a get Trump operation. It was not conducted in good faith. And that Mueller was supposed to just be the he was supposed to be the man who finished it all off. He was going to be the one who finally ended this Trump nightmare for, for all the libs and all the bitter never Trump Republicans. That was Mueller's real job. And this is why he was set up by Comey to do this. This is why you had Rosenstein, these DOJ people. They were all trying to find a way. And Rosenstein you know, in the background when all this stuff is going on, and they just didn't have the goods. They just couldn't make it happen. It wasn't there. They didn't have the goods because it didn't happen. And they can't completely fabricate evidence. They can come up with all these novel legal theories and interpretations in order to try to justify the, the fantasy that Trump broke the law and that maybe he should be prosecuted, maybe he will be prosecuted, but it's just nonsense. It was always nonsense you know and trump is going to get some opportunities here to, to fight back which i think is excellent for one uh he he points out that the whole struck and page situation where was Mueller on all this stuff play 12 he terminated the emails he terminated all of the stuff between Strzok and Page. You know, wow. they sung, you've never seen. Robert Mueller terminated their text messages together. He, would, he terminated them. They're gone. And that's illegal. He, he, that's a crime. Saying that he tried to cover up what happened here. Didn't, didn't want to get some information. There's some information that Libs and others, they, they have no interest in gathering. And it's always information that would be exculpatory or beneficial for Trump or show just how depraved and dishonest the deep state aligned against him really is. And then there's just the broader question here, too. When does this does this ever end? Will there come a point at which there is no longer a an appetite in the, in the at least for the public and also in American politics because there's what the public cares about. There's what the D.C. swamp cares about. It's not always the same thing at all. Are we ever going to get to a point where this can finally go away? I would like us to just get some answers. And maybe Mueller's testimony will be helpful to that end. Some answers so that we can walk away from this. This has been such a monumental waste. It has slowed and hampered and hobbled the presidency by, by design. This was what the Democrats wanted all along. It has made 
President Trump's job more difficult. It has cost a tremendous amount of resources, but also it's taken up a lot of the public's time and thought processes that could have been spent focused on more important things. You know, we still have a lot of a lot of real demons to fight out there. You know, we got cancer to cure. We got a debt we have to handle. We got a lot of things to to really look at. And this was not one of them. And it's not okay that a bunch of sore loser, bitter, angry Democrats, not just the angry Democrats on the Mueller team, but across the board, across the country, feel like they should drag us all through their ongoing nervous breakdown because that's really what Trump forced out of the Democratic Party. They, the Democrats had a mass nervous breakdown because of Trump. And then there were all these these spasms and all this all this craziness from them because of it. And when is enough enough? They really do need to just get a grip. So I, mean, I agree with the president. It needs it needs to end. Enough is enough. One other thing just to note here is uh, that Democrats are going to be out making their case tonight. Uh, for why a bunch of people that have basically no chance of becoming president should should be in the race even. And Elizabeth Warren, sure, she might be able to make her way through the debt, but the rest of these Democrats have no chance. I mean, this is the this is the also ran category before the race is even over. Um but remember one of the early on one of the decisions that a lot of conservatives who were uncomfortable with some of Trump's personal ways and style made was uh, one of the decisions that we came to was that for judges alone, there's a huge benefit to Trump being in office. He was at the Faith and Freedom Coalition today, and Trump gave the people listening, and I hope his base was paying attention. I hope people that voted for Trump and were holding their nose when they did it who were conservatives, I hope they heard this too. We'll talk about how, you know, we're doing some important stuff on the courts here, and keep in mind that the crazy left which is getting crazier all the time, they've got their own version of of the judges that they want. And because of Trump, that's not happening. Play 10. My administration has also taken historic action to protect Americans' rights enshrined in the Constitution. Democrats are determined to pack the courts with radical left judges who will impose their own far-left views on the American people. That is why I will soon appoint my 145th judge to interpret the Constitution as written. I've heard Trump say this. He, I believe he told me this, if I remember correctly, in our interview back in, in October, that no president except for George Washington has a higher percentage overall of, of appointees uh, to the federal bench. So Washington has him beat, but after George Washington, it's Donald Trump. And the judges that he's put forward have been the judges that we would have wanted from any conservative. This is a promise kept. There are some areas where we're going to have to take a real look at what Trump doesn't mean that I'm going to change my support for him, but it does mean we have to look at what hasn't worked yet, what has to be the focus, how he'll shape the message going forward so that we can believe that he really will be able to achieve all those promises. But on judges, Trump has been an A+. And anytime you think that, oh, well, I don't really like his tweets or anything else, just think about what it would be like to have a little army of Ruth Bader Ginsburgs in their early 40s being put on the federal bench across the country. That's what you'd have if Hillary had won. This is a manufactured crisis. 
At the heart of this whole thing are a whole bunch of lies. We have a president who will go on TV tonight and lie and lie and lie some more. This is a manufactured crisis. Wouldn't we be there because it was a crisis? They were being overrun. Yeah. You know, there's something manufactured about this. Yeah. There's no crisis. It's a manufactured crisis. He's taking 800,000 federal employees hostage so he can get his vanity wall. This whole thing is absurd. It is a completely manufactured, you know, appeal to the ugliest sentiments. And, and frankly, you know, I wonder about our complicity in just talking about this. It's complete and utter nonsense trying to solve a problem that in fact doesn't exist because there's zero net illegal immigration coming across the southern border. They're playing the public. You, for suckers. That was all this year, my friends, from Democrats. That's right. Now everyone's saying, oh my gosh, we're operating concentration camps at the border, according to Libs, the crazy ones, or the craziest ones. But a few months ago, it was a manufactured crisis. As in Trump was creating it. As if Donald Trump was showing up in Honduras and running around saying, hey, I've got a great idea. Make your way all the way up through Mexico and borrow a kid if you don't have one or show up with your kid at the U.S.-Mexico border. Present yourself and say that you want asylum and just say whatever you have to say to stay in the country and then you're, you're home free. Manufactured by whom is the question that is going to be the real issue. Manufactured how? Who is the manufacturer of this? Um, and now we go to, oh, you mean that it's not manufactured at all. This is quite real. This is a, a major problem. Oh, wait, here, just in case, some of the greatest hits. This is from this year, folks. We're, gonna, we're on track, as I've been warning you, month after month, and going down to the border and doing reporting from the field, month after month, we're on track to now have a million illegal aliens come into the country this year. A few months ago, Jim Acosta was down at the border doing this, play five. And here are some of the steel slats that the president's been talking about uh, right here. Uh, as you can see, yes, you can see through these slats to the uh, other side of the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, but as we're walking along here, we're not seeing any kind of uh, imminent danger. There are no migrants trying to uh, rush toward this fence uh, here in the McAllen, Texas area. As a matter of fact, there are some other businesses uh, behind me along this highway. There's a gas station, Burger King, and so on. Uh, but no sign of the national emergency that the president has been talking about. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's pretty tranquil down here. Matter of fact, it's uh, pretty tranquil. I can feel the wind rustling through all the hairspray in my hair, and uh, it's great down here, Jim Acosta says. That's funny because I went to the border twice, and I saw arrests happening all the time. <laughs> okay, arrests were happening constantly at the border. Surrenders, arrests, you name it. Right? That's what was going on at our southern border. But Jim Acosta says, oh, there's no danger. There's no migrants here. What's the pro What's the problem, man? It's all fine. <sighs> I'll, I'll, I'll just, just so dishonest. So many liars among those that go on TV and make this case to you. They have no, absolutely no accountability for what they've said in the past. No interest whatsoever in 
going back and figuring out why they got it so wrong. But I, I, I want to take it before I get into what they're saying now. I want to know this. Why is it that President Obama is not the president anymore? I understand this. But why is it that when he was saying certain things, when he was the president and there was a unaccompanied youth migrant crisis at our southern border, it started under Obama. He could say things like this and Democrats had no problem with it. Play play 17. These kids don't make it and may have been waylaid into sex trafficking or killed because they fell off a train. We have no way of tracking that. So that is our direct message to the families in Central America. Do not send your children to the borders. If they do make it, they'll get sent back. More importantly, they may, may not make it. Oh, so inhumane, Obama. They're seeking asylum. Don't you understand? Putting them in cages. What is wrong with you, Obama? No, they didn't say that at all. They're like, oh, well, it's Obama. So, yeah, sure. They'll, they'll, he was saying they'll get sent back. This is why it's so hard to have a discussion with the Democrats about immigration because until about five minutes ago, they at least used to say they wanted the same things we did. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Until five minutes ago, the president, who was a Democrat, was willing to deport people and did at least take some measures to have deterrence. Because if you have no deterrence, if you have no enforcement of law, if there's no penalty for breaking the law, you don't have a law. You have a suggestion. That's all gone now. And now the Democrats are just trying to outdo one another with degrees of crazy. Now they're just spinning off the planet all the time, saying stuff that makes no sense. And thankfully, you know, President Trump is on it, understands what the opposition really is going for here, and is willing to say this is all about Democrats wanting open borders now. They've they've boxed themselves in. There's no way there's no way for them to be opposed to open borders because they're unwilling to go along with any enforcement measures. So if they won't help close the borders, guess what? They only have one option left, and Trump is right to call them out for. Play one. We don't need anybody if they if the Democrats would get rid of the loopholes. They're called loopholes for a reason. They're loopholes. They're loopholes to come into the country. If the Democrats would get rid of the loopholes and would fix asylum, it would take an hour. We could sit there. We could make a deal. They refuse to do it. They want open borders. He's right. We have a near open border right now. All you have to do is not be from Mexico, get to Mexico, show up at our southern border. You'll be processed quickly if you have a kid with you. And you're good. And that's pretty much it. That's, that's all you need. Beyond that, you're, you're home free. You're good to go. Trump is saying that Democrats could make this whole thing stop. They could make this go away. They don't want to make it go away. See, this is where this is where the rubber really meets the road. They have no interest. They're political incentives aren't aligned with the rule of law here they don't care what's really happening now just keep in mind that president trump says these things and they call him horrible things i mean horrible things especially because of his position on immigration and you have that imbecile ilhan omar 
who will find out, I guess, soon enough whether she actually married her brother or not. We have Ilhan Omar, who is saying stuff like this, play 18. And so we're here to say, in this country, we are no longer going to stand for a xenophobic tyrant to continuously rain terror on our communities. A xenophobic tyrant reigning terror I don't know about I wouldn't use that word reigning terror on communities a xenophobic tyrant this is coming from a woman who's a Somali immigrant who's now a member of Congress and loves to get away with saying lots of anti-semitic stuff right but they, they call him a xenophobic tyrant mostly because of his immigration positions now we don't have to get into how overwrought and a nonsensical Ilhan Omar's positions are that that's this is why the, the left tries so hard to defend her because she says what so many in the left really believe but aren't so dumb as to say out loud so there's this uh this, this kind of internal defense mechanism that people have oh Ilhan Omar you know she's don't beat up on her don't say mean things about her it's because that the crazy stuff she says about Trump libs love it they love it they wish they could run around saying that. But if they're not an immigrant from Somalia who's a Muslim and a female, they won't get away with quite the same amount of crazy that she does. And so they just prefer that she's out there and able to use that uh, that special protection to just go after Trump at will. But Trump understands that they want open borders, and that's why he keeps calling them out. I just would want to know what I mean, someone should ask these Democrats if Obama was a xenophobic tyrant, if Obama was hateful toward Latin Americans, Mexicans, Central Americans, if, if he was a really bad guy, because Obama used to say so. And this is not a whataboutism. This is the most recent president, folks. This is when the Democrats were in power. They want to be in power again when they were in power just a few years ago. The guy that was running things for them used to say stuff like this about immigration. Play two. Uh, we've had five million undocumented workers come over the borders uh, since George Bush took office. Uh, it has become an extraordinary problem. And the reason the American people are concerned is because they are seeing their own economic position slip away. And oftentimes employers are exploiting these undocumented workers. They're not paying the minimum wage. They're not observing worker safety laws uh, and so what we have to do is create a comprehensive solution to the problem now i have already stated that as president i will make sure that we finally have the kind of border security that we need that's step number one step number two is to take on employers right now they an employer has more of a chance of getting hit by lightning than be prosecuted for hiring an undocumented worker that has to change that was candidate Obama, folks. Does he sound like he could? Are you going to hear that from any of the Democrats running in the debate tonight or tomorrow night? Prosecuting employers for hiring illegals, strengthening security at the border to keep people out, talking about the economic consequences of competition for jobs that comes from illegals, the exploitation of illegals by employers, not paying them minimum wage. And Are you going to hear that from any Democrat? This is the guy that was president for eight years with the Democratic Party behind him. I mean, we're not the ones that have changed. They have changed. We're not the ones that have gone crazy. The Democrats have gone crazy. 
when we could have an adult discussion about immigration, they were much closer to where the Republican Party is now. But what's happened is they've just decided to go off the deep end and be like, yeah, whatever, everyone, anyone can stay as long as they vote Democrat. As long as they vote Democrat and sign up for grievance politics 101, identity politics through the lens of social justice and start lecturing Americans. As soon as they come here, the first thing that we want from immigrants is to start getting lectures about how we don't treat our immigrants, illegal immigrants rather, well enough. And that, and that the reason those illegal immigrants had to leave their countries was because of the bad things that America's done all over the world, right? Whether it's climate change, that's only about yesterday, or some war or some something, or, you know, we supported a regime 50 years ago, you know, whatever it is, there's always some excuse. It's never these countries just have problems because the people who live in them need to get their act together. That, that's never the problem. It's always America's fault. It's always our fault. It's very frustrating. It's very frustrating, but I think it's important to illustrate how much they have changed because they have changed dramatically. Uh, the Democratic Party is in an entirely different universe on immigration from where it used to be. And so that's why we should all take a step back and say, hold on a second. Who, who are the crazy ones on this issue? They call us xenophobic and tyrants and racist and all this. Well, if that's the case, the Democratic Party and Barack Obama were effectively xenophobic and racist and tyrants until about, you know, two years ago. What changed? Oh, that's right. They're not in power. And the left, the radical left, seized power within their party, which is another important dynamic here. We got more coming up. All of this, this whole mess is manufactured. It's a manufactured crisis, a non-crisis at the border that's really not fooling anybody. People may think, oh, it's a crisis, a crisis. They know it's not a crisis. That's all for political expediency. That's all for getting what they want. That's all for saving this president's rear end. What are we, stupid? A manufactured emergency. All to keep a campaign promise that the majority of Americans don't want you to keep. What kind of emergency is that? If I were Don Lemon, I'd avoid the question about stupidity. Do you think that he is going to be held accountable by any of his audience for that was earlier this year? I mean, the crisis, let's keep in mind, hasn't changed. It's gotten maybe worse in terms of numbers, but it's been the same crisis for months. The Border Patrol facilities and Immigration and Customs Enforcement, the loopholes in the law, this has been going on for months. Stretching back well into last uh, last summer. They were saying it wasn't a crisis. It wasn't a crisis. When the American people were focused on budget negotiations and when Trump was trying to get them, and remember, we went to a whole government shutdown of this, when Trump wanted funding for a wall and Trump wanted it, what did the Democrats do? They lied. They lied about the crisis, said there was no crisis when it was politically necessary for them. And now they turn around and act like, oh, Trump's not doing enough and he's terrible and he's a monster and all this stuff they say. They have no shame. No shame at all. And you want an, an example of exactly what I'm talking about? Here's Chuck Schumer using a photo of a dead child on the floor of uh, on the floor of the Senate. He's putting up this photo to make some political point. Here's what Chuck Chuck Schumer says. Fifteen. These are not drug dealers. 
President Trump, I want you to look at this photo. These are not drug dealers or vagrants or criminals. They are people simply fleeing a horrible situation in their home country for a better life. Holding up a photo of a dead child as a prop on the floor of the Senate. As though, what? Those of us who believe that we shouldn't just let anyone come to the country who wants to come to the country are bad people who don't care about dead children? This is... This really is a corollary to my rule about you always need to be careful of anyone who claims that they're doing it for the children. Also be very skeptical whenever a politician, especially a Democrat politician, says to you, if you don't agree with me, you don't care about dead children. They do this with gun control all the time. Oh, you, you don't you don't agree that we should ban all semi-automatic rifles, you don't care about dead kids. They stand on the graves of dead children and lecture us on policy that has nothing to do with dead children. And they take, you'll note, no responsibility for keeping the situation as it is. They take no responsibility for the fact that they could change the laws, send the emergency supplemental funding to the border right away instead of delaying on it, close the loopholes, make the asylum process what it's supposed to be, which is for people who are fleeing persecution, not economic migrants pretending to flee violence. Do they take any of the responsibility for the women who are, who are raped as a result of being entrusted to coyotes to bring them to the border? Do the Democrats feel any guilt over that? Do the Democrats feel any guilt over the people in this country who are killed by illegal aliens? Of course not. That's why at least Trump will fight back on this stuff. I hope and expect this to be the only time that I will speak to you in this manner. I am making that decision myself. Any testimony from this office would not go beyond our report. It contains our findings and analysis and the reasons for the decisions we made. We chose those words carefully and the work speaks for itself. Uh, that's not a call you get to make there, Muller. I've always thought that Mueller really exposed himself in that press conference. I've always thought that we saw something in Bob Mueller that really gives us a, some insight into exactly how partisan and anti-Trump he really was in this whole process. Because this, this initial contention that he had, that he wasn't going to testify, I mean, is, is he serious? Did he really think that was going to fly? Yeah, sorry, I'm just, I'm just not, I'm just not going to testify. Sorry, man, I don't, I'm not going to testify. I ran this get Trump operation for two years, did a little this, did a little that, you know, yeah, but but I'm not going to testify. This is just idiocy. It's just nonsense. Why does anyone think that that's an okay thing for Mueller to say or feel or think? It's it's bizarre. And now yesterday, the news broke that, sh okay, sure, it was too blatant, too obvious. Democrats could not continue the charade. And so that is why they have decided that they will have Mueller testifying. He's, he's agreed to testify as of July 17th, I think it is. So this is going to be when we finally get to see 
this guy have to do something that he doesn't really want to do. He was given carte blanche. He was given a, uh, a very wide berth to pursue Trump in all these different ways. And we know that he, look, we know he's anti-Trump. We know he wanted to take down the Trump administration. None of that is a surprise. But he didn't do any press conferences. He didn't, you know, have to stand up there and face the music at all. He had that one. It wasn't really a press conference. He just gave a statement and walked away and said, oh, sorry, it's over now. And his statement was clearly meant to be a handoff to the Democrat-controlled Congress to say, go impeach the president, which was not Mueller's call, which is not his responsibility, which is not an ethical thing for him to have done. Why wouldn't Democrats, given how much St. Mueller was supposed to save our republic, why wouldn't Democrats have right away said, we want to have Mueller out there. We, We want Mueller to testify. Oh, that's right. Republicans will get to ask him questions, too. And there are questions that when Bob Mueller testifies next month, we will, based just even on his willingness to answer the questions, I think, learn a lot. I'm sure he's going to try to pull a lot of I can't say that or I can't talk about it. There's a continuing or ongoing investigation or that's classified or something because this is going to be an open session. He'll do what he can to stay out of the danger areas, but there are just going to be some questions that if he's not willing to answer them, that's the answer. That's the only answer you have to hear. If he's not willing to address what are enormously important unanswered questions, then we know that this was this was not on the up and up. This was funky. There was a funky smell emanating from the Mueller probe. So that's why when I look at this, I say, okay, now fine. Oh, you Buck, what are those? What are those questions? Of course. What are those questions? Well, for one, how is it that the man who is tasked with looking at Russian interference in the election seemingly had no interest, and I mean none, no interest in getting to the bottom of the origins of the Russia collusion theory. How is that possible? How is it the case that he just decided to pretend that this all started because of Papadopoulos and that, no, it didn't. We all know it didn't. So he skipped past all that? He didn't think that that was relevant? I find that very, very hard to believe. All right. Well, then what's the next what's the next on the on the list here? Okay. The dossier. Why does the dossier almost not appear at all in the Mueller probe? Was the dossier a primary component of the FISA warrant? Given what we've been finding out about the dossier, its provenance and credibility issues early on, why didn't Bob Mueller have more interest in how that was passed around the top of the DOJ and used to get spying going on a presidential campaign. And then this this other one, too. Why is it that it's that that Mueller's view of what he was doing was that he never could have brought charges against the president? because He can't bring charges against the sitting president. 
but he would have exonerated him if he could, but he can't. Why not just say that they wouldn't come to a determination at all? This this formulation, and this is where Mueller's going to have real real problems, because when, when you see him asked about this, it's going to sound and look very political, because it was very political. Because this was the deep state, this was the permanent bureaucracy, the ruling class in D.C.'s effort to stop Trump and to put a stop to this new era we're in where you don't have to be a politician, you don't have to do things the way the left says you need to do them in order to run the power structure. This has been a th- this is a threat. Trump poses a threat to people like Mueller who are a part of this cadre that doesn't matter who wins the election, it doesn't matter, you know, what what happens in any given year, they get to make very important determinations about your life and about what's going to happen in this country. And Trump was a was a threat to all that. I think beyond just being a threat to it going forward, I think they don't want to believe that Trump can be a good president. Not only do they think he's illegitimate, it hurts their sense of their own importance and their own greatness that this interloper, Donald Trump, can come along and be the commander in chief and do this job without having spent years and years and years on Capitol Hill, you know, without having gone through the political machinery and and paid his due, so to speak. I, I do believe it that in, in the swamp here in D.C. where I'm doing this show right now, there's a sense that Donald Trump not only stole the election from Hillary just by beating her, I'm not forget about whether Russia was involved or not, but that he was, it, it's not okay for someone outside the power structure to be in power. And in that way, he's an outsider. Sure, he's a billionaire, he's famous, all this stuff, but... He's an outsider insofar as the people that are used to calling all the shots and being really important and being really powerful in this town, at least in D.C., they don't consider him legitimate. They don't consider him somebody who should be able to be in the role that he's in. And Mueller is one of them. Mueller is somebody like that. And this is why the the partisan affiliation does not matter nearly as much. The much more important designation is is a person, a a creature of, or a an ally of, or someone who deeply believes in the bureaucracy and, and in the permanent governing class that lives here in D.C. But I, I don't th- look the the Mueller testimony is not going to change a lot of people's minds. People, it doesn't matter what Mueller could come out and say, yeah, I made the whole thing up and Trump's innocent, and they still you'd have libs, MSNBC be like, somebody must have gotten Mueller drunk before the hearing. We don't like what he said, so we'll just discount it all. I mean, you know, there, there's nothing that you can do that'll convince a lot of people, millions and millions of Democrats, that Trump is not a traitor, he's not the Manchurian candidate, the Russians aren't running his campaign. There's nothing you can do. It doesn't matter what would happen. They'll, they'll believe that no matter what because that belief is comforting to them. Um, with that said, I think Mueller's going to get pushed into some corners, and I think he has no good answers, and that's going to tell us a lot, or at least tell us that we've been right. Uh, bringing a a rape charge against Donald Trump for this? Why not? I would find it disrespectful to the women who are down on the border who are being raped around the clock down there. And it was all fairly playful. Um, Oh, it was charming. On the counter were these fancy lingerie boxes that they used to have back in the 90s. Yeah. 
You wore lingerie in the 90s, I'll bet, Joy. But he didn't suggest it, he shouted it. He shouted lingerie. Lingerie. He may have shouted underwear. I, yeah. you okay. Know, okay. Were you scared? Were you no, I angry? Was too, Were you... I was too panicked to be scared. Too panicked to be scared, okay. Totally, and I put my life on the line. Do you think that you're going, well, hold on a second. What do you mean you put your life on the line? Well, people have told me I have to be careful. You've gotten death threats. I am not looking at death threats. I had the idea that I'm going to make him put it on over his pants. I'm an archer. I have bows and arrows, you know. Yeah, fine. I think there's just two... Never mind. Never mind. I think most people think of rape as a... I mean, it is a violent assault. It is not I think most people think of rape as being sexy. Mm. Let's take a short break. Think of the fantasies. Mm. We're going to take a quick break. If you can stick around, we'll talk more on the other side. You're fascinating to talk to. (laughs) Uh, yeah, Anderson, get to that break real fast, buddy. So that's E. e. Jean Carroll, who you will note after, I would assume today, is going to fade off into complete obscurity again. And this will just be yet another, yet another time when the media saw someone who was temporarily of some use to them and were willing to dispense with all fairness, all judgment, all decency and elevate her so that she was able to make heinous, a heinous allegation against the president of the United States. It never occurred to me that this would end Trump's presidency or that this would change because I always knew that, that this was just not a believable story. As soon as I heard the details of the story from this person, it did not make any sense. But I would also note that this is this should not become normal for us. What I mean is it should not become the standard that public figures should be subjected to the Kavanaugh treatment. And I worry that while Trump is effectively immune to these lies because there have been so many lies told about him because the the sky is falling phenomenon it has become so overwrought in the era of Trump and these people that think that they're going to, you know, they're going to bring Trump down. They're so completely and blatantly partisan that it might not work on President Trump, but could you imagine some other Republican candidate or Republican politician or just conservative who becomes a little problematic for the left in some way and then they decide that they're just going to take him down. And all it takes is one one person, one woman to step forward with a story that doesn't seem credible, with no real corroboration, and that's it. Because that person may be ruined, right? Trump's invincibility or invulnerability to the lies told about him is not a transferable thing, I believe. And that's what has me so concerned. So while we brush aside now, any rational person brushes aside E. Jean Carroll, I I really do believe, and and I I say this not so much to be disparaging as to be analyzing. I think she's she's got problems. I think she's somebody who is a bit disturbed. Um, While she is now going to be cast aside because she's no longer useful to the left, they allowed her to, to deeply humiliate herself on national TV. Uh, and gave her really the the Avenatti treatment insofar as they were willing to put her on all the different shows and give her all of this attention. And 
you know, this doesn't mean that we should just move past it and say, okay, no harm, no foul. We do need to have a reckoning with what has changed in recent years, just like how the Democrats are, are such liars on immigration. I mean, the, the amount of, of gaslighting of, oh, no, we were never, we never favored a wall. We never favored enforcement. We were never pro-deportation. <laughs> There's no crisis. I mean, all that stuff. Just as that has happened, there, there is no grappling with the Kavanaugh effect and what this means for our country going forward. We should not be in a position where most people, most men, I think right now, would have to believe that if they were accused in this way, they would be ruined even if there was no evidence and plenty of holes in the story. The accusation itself is enough. And if there's not going to be any attempt at fairness in adjudicating this, if it's going to be purely political, and then the people who are accused aren't even going to be given an opportunity to clear their names, it's just a question of how badly the left wants to take any one person out before they can be a target and they can be ruined. So, you know, I'm not willing to just skate past this and say, all right, so she didn't manage to destroy Trump with this, we should just, no, we should ask the question, why was she treated as credible? What were the parts of the story that did not hold together, and how come members of major media organizations weren't able to figure this out? CNN just completely disgraces itself on a regular basis. I I honestly, I think that people are at a point now where they they should be, there should be a sense of embarrassment to work there. I, I think it's an embarrassing place to work now. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who's there is a bad person or should be embarrassed, but I, I do think that the organization is in need of, I mean, they should fire the top leadership across the board, and it needs a real reset. And you know, the only way to do it would be to bring in somebody who's a conservative and give them considerable power. Not to make it a conservative channel, necessarily, just to make it a channel that's not psycholib crazy time, which is what it has turned into. Um, that's... Because otherwise, how can you explain having E.G. and Carol on and and treating her like she was was credible in the story? None of it ever made sense. And she didn't act like a victim of, of, of anything when she was on TV. Just like Julie Swetnick. Remember that? Julie Swetnick. She was never prosecuted. She signed an affidavit. She's a liar. She was bearing false witness. And they never had any, any consequences for her whatsoever. We, we need to start looking at this. And tell people that if you're going to make these allegations, it better be very clear that we can't prove that you're just straight up lying about this because that's just unac- it's just unacceptable, folks. It's wrong. It's wrong. And it's used to smear you and me as well. Just because we support Trump, they say we're bad people. They use lies to make us feel bad. But the good news is we don't feel bad because they're lies. They should be sued because what's happening with with the bias, and now you see it with that executive yesterday from Google, the hatred for the Republicans. Right. It's not even like, gee, let's, let's lean Democrat. The hatred. And actually, you know, I heard that all during my election. It's hard that I won. They were, they were swamping us with negative stuff. The free speech wars and the digital platforms, my friends. This is an issue that is just continuing to heat up. Conservatives realize that this is something that we cannot afford to sit on the sidelines and just watch go bias. But other than just complaining about this, which I tell you about these instances of bias, we talked about the Project Veritas 
uh, investigation yesterday. What can we do about it? We have somebody who might have an answer for us joining us now. We have John Mates on the line. He is the CEO of Parler, which is a free speech based social media app. John, thanks for giving us some time. Thank you. How man? What? How is Parler different? Tell me what's going on. What? What is Parler? So people can understand this. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it looks and feels very similar to other social media platforms that you've used in the past. Um, the idea is that we are allowing uh, for more uh, free speech guidelines, as in anything that the uh, we, we base our guidelines off the uh, FCC and off of um, and off of Supreme Court cases. So that way, it, it allows for an idea of what's allowed close to the Constitution. Um, you know, to your point that you had with President Trump, um, you know, the big problem with Twitter is it is what I would call a hate haven. Um, it is filled with a lot of angry leftists who are very much trolling uh, most of any of the prominent individuals' threads, and they are protected by that social media platform who is biased. Big difference is we're unbiased, and the users get to uh, shape their own experience on their own pl- uh, profile. So if you don't like what someone has to say on your profile, you can moderate out their comments or make sure that they can't speak to you anymore. That's kind of the general idea. You know, so you don't end up with these, you know, basically hate mobs like you have on Twitter that uh, that are just spamming you. And then Twitter decides which posts to show up closer and which comments to prioritize and deprioritize. It's it's really the way social media should be done, where you control your own experience. So the, the, the individual user control is certainly an interesting feature. Different apps and social media platforms have you can mute people, block people, do all kinds of things. Right. But it sounds like yours is a little bit more in depth than that. But how do you when you said that there will be guidelines? I mean, this is always where the 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 problem comes up, because people who work at Google, people who work at Facebook will say, well, we're just protecting conversational health. And, you know, so we can't have neo-Nazis saying that people need to be exterminated. Hold hold on a second, John. Hold on a second. I'm just let me. And, and then we always say, OK, but then you say you can't demonize immigrants. And that's that's a different thing. Right. So how do you establish these rules? Well, and, and that's what the Constitution is for. Right. That's what we're looking at our government. What they are saying in very nice, fluffy uh, newspeak terms is that they are going to be censoring po- political ideas based off of what they feel is right and wrong. Now, that is immoral in every sense of the t- in every sense of the term. What we're doing is just saying, here's the foundation, same foundation that the government's based off of, that the FCC allows people to talk about on radio and television. You know, uh, this is what the, the government says is okay, so this is what you should be able to talk about on the Internet. And I feel like that's a really basic premise. And then giving you the ability to control your own profile as if it's your living room by not just being able to mute and block people, but also being able to mute and block specific comments. Uh, and then training an algorithm to help you do that if, you're, if you so care about it so much, then, then you can take, you know, take control, control of those tools. Something that these guys don't want you to do. They don't want you to have control over the discussion. They want to be able to tell you what's right and wrong because they have a moral obligation in their minds to do this. Um, I, I just saw a clip from Tim Cook last night. He was, uh, he was talking to, um, to a defamatory league, and he said in his, uh, in his speech, Those who have power to do so have a moral obligation to step in when people are saying things that are wrong. And then he proceeded by saying, those who do not are sinners. That is from Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple. 
This is what these big tech companies want to do. They view as if they view your political opinion as wrong, they want to step in and censor you. So this was the next thing I was going to ask you, which is as somebody who's operating in this space now, when you look at the established entities, you see these stories of bias. We have videos of people at Google crying in town halls after Trump won and the top executives acting like a great catastrophes befallen America. You had the James Damore incident where a guy with real training and and scientific background is trying to get into some issues, some issues of, of sociology and psychology. And and they say, unacceptable, you're fired. Uh, I mean, is it as pervasive as we've come to think it is on the right? Why why can't these companies get a handle on it? Do, do they not want to get a handle on it? The companies don't want to get a handle on it. It comes from their upper senior management. They are politically biased towards the left to begin with. And I'm not talking politically biased to the moderate left. They are extreme leftists. On the extreme left, they can have totalitarian control of what you say, do, and how you operate. Uh, they hide behind the guidelines of being a free market company while they completely monopolize the industry and allow only one ideology to thrive. It is anti-American in every sense of the word. And they're doing it on purpose because it gives them more power and more control. And it is worse than people think. We were just in a big battle with Apple uh, in the last 48 hours. Um, they gave us a notice about two weeks ago that they were going to ban us from the App Store because our content was too controversial. Um, controversial being moderate conservatives talking politics. And they pointed to a few cases which were not very extreme. Uh, some of them were legitimately oversights on our part. Some of them weren't. And none of the examples that they were able to provide had any, uh, any weight to it. No, one's, you know, no one was looking at them. So they are trying to get rid of our platform with half a million, you know, conservative, uh, you know, mostly conservative Americans, because um, it's a platform that's going to compete with Twitter, which has a complete control by the left and ideology that they support. It, it's and, morally wrong what they're doing. And, and so just so for everyone listening, your approach, and we're speaking to John Mates, who's the CEO of Parler, which is a free speech app. Your approach is not OK. To, the way to deal with this is to create a conservative ecosystem or a, a, a sort of mirror image of what you see with Twitter, which is instead of it being left di left bias, you're going to have right bias. You're just saying, no, we're going to create an actual free speech platform and conservatives will like this because they don't have it anywhere else. Yeah, it's neutral, fair playing ground. I'm not politically biased one way or another. I mean, of course, everyone has their own political views, right? But my my political views have nothing to do with our company. We are simply, you know, a tool for those people who want to communicate with one another. That's what social media should be. What they are now is they're publishers, and they're hiding behind the curtain of Apple and Google's monopoly over the software industry so that no other competitors can arise to compete with them. Now, what has to happen for your company going forward? I mean, how are you guys doing? What are your next steps? Just wondering if, if we're going to be hearing a lot more from you in six or 12 months, and you know, I'm going to have to download the Parlor app as soon as we're done here. I uh, I want to, um, you know, of course, continue to fight against these big tech companies who are trying to shut us down. I mean, they're actively working to try to shut us down. Uh, we're not going to we're not going to take. Them. And then um, we're also going to continue to expand out our platform to build more and more interesting features to make it more exciting for the users because these companies haven't innovated in years. They've been protected by monopoly status. We've got a lot of cool ideas that can go into this to help users 
uh, interact with one another and also, you know, hopefully one day make money using our platform too and partner with us. I think this is a really cool way and it's the future. Now, I'm sure you've heard some conservatives out there who take the approach here that, uh, you know, if if only we just allow a little more time, things will even out here. And there's, you know, the bias isn't really that bad. And they don't want there to be a, a breakup of Google. They say there's there's not really a monopoly for these social media companies. I mean, just address that point for me. How are these things there a monopoly? Is, there is no way. The only reason that we exist is because we've got, you know, basically uh, we were a threat to them. Um, and I believe that Apple tried to shut us down within the last 48 hours. Uh, they did. They, I mean, they told me flat out on the phone. They said senior management at Apple was concerned with your product and they, you know, wanted to take it down. So that being said, um, it, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, these are not monopolies in a traditional sense, right? Because they exist. You can compete with them. But if you compete with them, their buddies over at Google and Apple will step in and censor your product off of their app store. Apple, you can only download my app off the App Store because Apple won't allow me to publish software on anyone's phone unless I get their seal of approval. The only reason that we weren't taken down yesterday is because we were retweeted on Twitter by a prominent individual and it got over 500,000 views. That's the only reason that Apple didn't shut us off yesterday. And I think it's unfair to the free market that people can't compete with Twitter, people can't compete with Facebook, because if they try to, Apple will step in and censor that opposition out. It's not a traditional free market economy right now. And that's what we need. John Mates, everybody, CEO of Parler. We can all download the Parler app on our own, right? Yes. Yep. For now. All right. <laughs> all right. There we go. John, thanks so much. Really appreciate your perspective on this and good luck. Thank you. All right, team. We'll be right back. Gotta say, I found this interesting a poll here that NPR has put out on anger in public. This is an important one, I think, for all of us to keep in mind in the aftermath of the debates tonight, when I'm sure if you try to weigh in and tell people what you think about this or that, they're going to come at you and be completely crazy. Uh, That's no surprise. Here's this NPR piece, though. Do you find yourself getting ticked off more than you used to? If the answer is yes... You're not alone. Some 84% of people surveyed say that Americans are angrier today compared with a generation ago, according to the latest NPR IBM Watson Health poll. When asked about their own feelings, 42% of those polled said they were angrier in the past year than they had been further back in time. Anger can have an effect on health. Now, I understand this. You know, generations love to think what they want to think about other generations. I mean, I can tell you that what boomers think of millennials is pretty well known. What millennials think of boomers is going to become more well known as the millennials are the ones in control of more of the wealth and and media and the megaphones in this country. Uh, Gen X and Gen Y, you guys are already pretty well ensconced and you have your own I just I wonder what Gen X thinks of Gen Y like do they make fun of each other do they talk smack but people being more angry today makes sense to me and I'll tell you why outrage is something that generates money it generates attention 
It is something that I believe people can become dependent on in their own way. There's a there's a cycle of outrage addiction that you can get into. And it's a way of never really focusing on real problems. Let's think about this for a second. How often in any given day are you really presented with something that's a challenge, it's a problem, that you should just be outraged about? I am outraged, sir. How dare you, sir? How often does that really happen to you? Probably not very often. I mean, it doesn't happen to me all that often. And I, I did, I did walk into the coffee shop this morning and I said, you don't have almond milk, sir? How dare you, sir? Just like that. And they looked at me, they're like, you're not 89 years old. Why are you saying it like that? Um, but no, really, you, you generally don't have that much that you're dealing with day in and day out to be outraged. There's frustration, there's issues, but outrage is not a helpful emotion. And it really should be reserved for things that are worthy of your outrage. Problem is that because we now are in this hyper-connected environment where you you have... You're, we're all carrying around these supercomputers because that's what they are. We just think of them now as phones. They're supercomputers, folks. If you would, if if a space alien had landed here in 1980 and handed you an iPhone, you would have been like, "Take me to your leader." I mean, you would have been mind blown by what this thing can do. We have supercomputers, GPS, incredible amounts of data storage, and fast computing, and I mean, just everything. And We've gotten used to this in a sense that we don't notice it, but that doesn't mean that we have yet as a species, as human beings, as animals, because it is in fact true, folks. You and me ain't nothing but mammals. This is true. We are mammals. Um, so let's do it like they do in the Freedom Hut, which is to listen, to engage, to converse. But when you think about the outrage generation systems that are in place now so much of news and social media is outrage based it's what gets clicks i would offer to you now that it's even a bigger part of the news business it used to be if it bleeds it leads now it's if it allows you to be angry and sanctimonious it leads i mean if it allows you to say oh my gosh look what they've done here uh and it's particularly pungent smelling this this nonsense on the left uh, they, the, the manure is stacked particularly high on the left when it comes to the outrage machinery because they have used this for very clear political purposes for a long time as well I, look this does exist on both sides I think that we are as a culture and this is why this poll that says that you know this is just this is really not a scientific poll insofar as it's just perception based. But if 90% of people surveyed think that we're angry now that we were a generation ago, I, I can believe that. I can buy that. I can, I, I, I can co-sign on that analysis because outrage has become commodi uh, commodified. It is a commodity. It is useful to other people. And I think it also, and this is where I was going initially with how often do you really you really need to be outraged about something. How often does it make sense? I think it's a it's become its own form of escapism. You know, escapism, and this is why uh, I believe a lot of our entertainment and certainly our social media is is driven by this outrage culture, uh, because escapism used to be you want to watch a story and the good guys beating the bad guys. This was reflected in our movies. It was reflected in the TV shows we watch. 
Now you you have to you have to generate outrage in people about things that are really going on or that are at least they believe are going on in the world around them in order to get their attention. But it's so much easier to walk down the street and say, I am so upset about the patriarchy than it is to walk down the street and say, how do I become a better person today? It's so much more self-gratifying to walk around and yelling about how do you realize what Trump said on Twitter yesterday instead of maybe I should call my sister that I haven't spoken to in six years. Maybe I should tip people a little bit better and not be so stingy when I'm at a restaurant, you know, because they're working hard and I should just do the right thing and it's not really going to matter to me. No, no. Those are things that people don't want. What you want to think about is, oh, my gosh, do you realize how terrible Trump is? He's so terrible. Oh, it's just so awful. It, it, it's just this this marinating, this this bathing in the agony of, oh, how could you have to deal with how horrible Trump is? This is so self-gratifying. It is all nonsense. It's such a waste, but it's all around us. And social media and our news media make this much worse. And I think it's worse now than it's ever been. So I do think a lot of people are angrier. That's not good. Everybody needs to chill. I was just talking to a conservative friend of mine today over lunch. And I said to her, you know, I guess at least right now, as we're heading into this crazy period of the election, it feels like there's a, a bit of a calm, although after tonight it might have dissipated for well, it might be gone entirely. We'll have to see. But you know, there's been this lull post-Mueller report before the debates in the primary. And I've just been thinking about how it's going to be insane, as I've been telling you. The 2020 election, you know this. You don't need me to tell you that. It's going to be absolutely, absolutely nuts. But there's been a drop-off in incidents where you, you things that you had seen a year ago, even seven or eight months ago, where there were people getting chased out of restaurants for being conservative, being part of the administration, where there were people who were having mobs show up at their homes. Uh, I've had mobs show up outside of the building I live in looking for an administration figure that they wanted to harass with banging drums and playing horns. Uh, turns out he lives on the other side of the complex, so they just annoy me. But this this seemed to have dropped off a little bit. I don't think that the left in in any sense has sworn off these tactics of well, these just dishonorable tactics, these lunatic uh, approaches to things. But I do think, um, well, I think that you're going to see a lot of it. I think you're going to see more of it than ever before. Uh, but there, it had been a little bit on pause well i said that at lunch and sure enough i get home and i see up oh, nope not really on pause you've got a restaurant group now that is uh putting an employee on leave because at chicago's aviary cocktail bar an employee spat on eric trump the younger son of donald trump here's what the restaurant group put out Last night, an unfortunate incident occurred between an employee at the aviary and Eric Trump. We did not witness the incident. We're just beginning to learn the details. Uh, I mean, how, how, how completely 
disgusting and disgraceful as this. And, you know, I understand it's just one individual, just one person, but it's really not one individual, one person. That's one person did this, but this is a mentality that is much more widespread. I, I had very tense arguments with libs that I know here in D.C. with a few of them. And I don't mean on air. I mean, I mean, person to person, man to man, where they would say, well, if you're going to work for this administration, you've got to just accept that people are going to come after you. I said, no, you, you don't have to just accept that. That's crazy. That is crazy. It is not acceptable at all. And I don't know why anybody would think that that's acceptable. This is and the left has never repudiated this. That's why as we go into this election cycle, as we go into what's going to be just the most off the wall, Democrats acting like the world's going to end unless someone, anyone beats Trump. I think it's really troubling. It's it's mainstream thinking among a lot of libs, among a lot of Democrats. It is mainstream thinking that. There will be that uh, there's there's no real problem with these tactics. They like these tactics. They think that they're justified at some level. The true believers, you know, the Antifa types, they're the ones who are on the front lines. And I, I do not know a single conservative in media, in politics, in an activism or organizing who would ever condone spitting on one of the children of the of the oh, you know a member of the first family never you know i mean I, i'll tell you this if i saw somebody ever try to spit on the obama girls i think i'd punch the guy in the face really you know I, there's just decency there's just some degree of 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 honor that should be expected from all of us doesn't matter how much you disagree with a politician. Doesn't matter what you think. The, you know, the, the most important thing at the end of the day, the most important thing is how each one of us acts in our own way, in our own time. That's what matters more than anything else. I just this mentality really troubles me. Really troubles me that this is something that would happen. And it's not the look they've done. They've they've yelled at Sarah Huckabee Sanders. They chased. Uh, Kirsten Nielsen, they've uh, gone outside, you know, Tucker Carlson's home. They've gone after um, Stephen Miller. I mean, all this stuff, you know, this doesn't happen to leftists. This doesn't happen to Democrat administrations. This is a one way street. We get abused this way. They don't get abused this way. It's it's just troubling. And, you know, what the other thing is, I mean, Eric Trump, I don't know him well, but he's a very he's very nice guy. Uh, you know, I, I just can't imagine not knowing him, having no personal beef with him whatsoever. He's just somebody who's the son of a politician you don't like. So you spit on as a female employee, apparently. Uh, you know, you, you spit on him. Are you kidding me? What is wrong with people? But I can't even say what is wrong with people. What is wrong with libs? Libs need to get a grip. Stop being so crazy just because you don't get your way, just because you're not as special as you thought you were because you've attached yourself to this ideology that you don't even really understand. And it's not nearly as clever or as good as you tell yourself it is. Doesn't mean you get to act like maniacs, libs. Get it together, libs. Straighten up. Don't act like lunatics. Hey. 
15 buck. It's time for roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want to be a part of Roll Call, which you should because it is oh so much fun. And we would very much like to talk to you uh, this through this medium. And with that, we shall get to it. Uh, John kicks us off today. Shields High, real news fan. All right, very cool. Thank you original well original real news squad which i suppose is its own thing it doesn't have a cool acronym like oss though i would suggest watching the harry potter series it gets exponentially better than what you may think only having watched the first one uh i i will tell you that i will take that under advisement i will not i cannot tell a lie to team buck i do not think that it is likely that i will start diving into all things Harry Potter anytime soon. But nonetheless, I appreciate the suggestion and I will uh, I will take it under advisement. How about that? I'll leave it at that. I'll take it under advisement for now. And let's see here. Should I read the books? Are people telling me that too? Are the books worth reading? Ryan writes, whatever happened to the AOC FEC complaints, everyone stopped talking about it well ryan you're correct and i must admit i don't know i don't have an answer for you because everyone stopped talking about it so when everyone stops talking about it means that people like me in the media don't necessarily know what's going on i think that there was my sense was that when they looked into it it was shady what she was doing but not illegal i think that was the way it came down but i i don't don't take that one to the bank. Uh-oh. John writes, Buck, you aired on Noble Gold Radio. Add with presence rather than the correct three-syllable statement of president. Wake up. There is an English language out there. Not Washington, D.C. Beltway speak. Um, okay. Sorry, John. <laughs> Mispronounced a word. I did, I, I'm sorry to disappoint you. That... The Buck makes mistakes. Adam. Buck, the movie is Doctor Strange Love, not Glove. <laughs> Shields high. Did I say Strange Glove? I probably did. I probably did. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the heat on this one. I probably said that. That's a thing that I likely said. And turns out that's not what it really is. So that's a thing. That I just have to say. I got another one wrong. You guys are really correcting me a lot today. How about, hey, Buck, I love you. You're amazing. Thank you for your radio show. It keeps me safe and warm at night. Can someone please write me that note today? I need one of those. I haven't got one of those in a long time. Richard, it seems to me that all these attacks on Trump's actions with regard to Iran are providing aid and comfort to the enemy. Richard, I appreciate that you don't like their going after the commander-in-chief in this way, um, but dissent is acceptable under our Constitution, under our individual liberty and free speech. And so they're allowed to attack the president and we have to defend their right to attack the president in words. 
even if it means that they are making his job harder at a very critical time in U.S. national security uh, with Iran. Chesson writes, if Donald Trump uh, Jr. does sit down before Congress, I would want to see him plead the fifth. This would make many in Congress the media claim that it shows he has something to hide or is guilty. I've responded to those statements with, so you believe that Lois Lerner and Hillary Clinton are guilty or have something to hide? Then sit back and watch the verbal gymnastics begin. Well, Chesson, you're right. They are going to always be total frauds on this issue, meaning that they they will... The, the, the plead the fifth issue is great because when someone they like pleads the fifth, it's, this is a constitutional right. This is our legal system built upon a foundation of the blah, 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 blah. And then when someone they don't like pleads the fifth, it's, he's guilty, sir. He's clearly guilty. Uh, Chesson writes a bit more here. In regards to the student loan debt payoff, I'd like to know how many and how much of these loans were used to pay for non-school stuff, vacations, cars, TVs, etc. I paid off my student loan debt. Why is being responsible now feeling like a stooge? Uh, yeah, Chesson, I, I think that you signed something when you take out student loans because I, I did the paperwork and never actually took out the loans. But that's how close I was to taking out big student loans. I think you signed something that uh, says that you'll use it for only educational expenses, but it's not really, they don't really monitor it. And if you use those funds inappropriately, they can go after you. But I think as long as you pay them back on schedule, they don't, they tend not to. Although I don't know, I have no, uh, I, I decided not to take out student loans and get an advanced degree. So I don't know as much about this as a lot of you listening. Tracy writes, Buck, where do I go to find conservative talking points on current hot button issues like Trump's tax code and climate change? My Democrat friends are always telling me the rich don't pay any taxes, blah, blah, blah. Of course, I can't trust Google. Thanks, Tracy. Well, Tracy, you're in a good place if you're writing to me, because I'm assuming that means you listen to the Buck Sexton show, which is the single greatest show of all shows. That's right. I'll say it. So you should be listening to this show and I'll give you as much information as I can. And then you can use the information that I'm sharing with you through this radio platform so that you can then make your lib friends look silly, which is one of the fun byproducts of listening to the Buck Sexton show. When the libs get all uppity, you can be like, oh, what? I heard this on the Buck Sexton show. Bam. Dropping it down. Uh, Terry. Writes, Buck, I'm listening to your podcast about the Central Park Five. I remember this case. The term I remember hearing that the boys used was that they would go wilding, meaning they would go crazy and attack people like that male jogger and then the female. I have not watched the Netflix movie yet. Did that term come out? I'm betting no, because it does not fit the narrative. Shields High from Rhode Island. Hey, Terry, man, thanks so much for writing in. Yes, they do use the term wilding in the Netflix documentary. They make it seem like the police uh, officers have never heard this before. And they, they do this to make it seem like there's this big gulf, this divide, I think, between, oh, the world of the officers and the world of these oppressed, oppressed minority youths. Um, generally speaking, and I've spent a lot of time with the NYPD, so um, I know of, of what I speak, uh, the... Officers who work things like narcotics and work gang units and things like that, 
they are very well versed in the language being used on the street. They're not like, what does that mean? You know, that's not how it goes. But that is what they showed in the uh, Netflix show. So there we have it. Uh, let's see what is next here. Oh, yeah. But yeah, they, they were wild. I, I always think that's an important point too. these. These uh, individuals, they were engaged in, in gang violence in the park that night and really hurt people, really hurt people other than the jogger. And now they're civil rights heroes for this. They're they're icons. They're millionaires. They're really. I don't know. Man, it's a crazy, crazy world we live in sometimes. Uh, let's see here. Don writes, good evening, Buck. Shields high. One day I'll convince you to say that. To Studo. So the Dems are about to throw themselves to the wolves amongst each other, or are they? I still think we have a Trojan horse in our political system. Surprise, surprise. What are your thoughts? As the saying goes, birds of a feather flock together. Don, I don't know really what you're asking me, but I appreciate your creative writing style. James writes, Buck, all the people that accuse someone of rape that turns out not to be true should face harsh penalties as well as those who want an abortion who claim to have been raped but found out not to be true. Alabama has passed this kind of law. If rape never happened, you can face jail time. You can destroy someone's life on fake allegations. Well, James, it turns out that there are already are laws on the books about swearing out a false accusation against somebody. Remember, this goes. This is biblical stuff, folks. Bearing false witness. This is very serious. And we, because we have this justice system that is now supposed to, according to the social justice warriors, take into account, well, who is the person making the accusation and who is the person who's being accused and where do they fit in the whole hierarchy of oppressor and oppressed and all this stuff? No, 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 no. We need one system of laws, one system of justice for all of us, or else it's not worth calling it a justice system at all. And I'm a, I'm a strong believer in you should face very severe penalties if it can be proven beyond a reasonable doubt that you lied so people who say but buck no one will come forward with allegations that's not true it's not oh we couldn't get the guy that you said did this to you it's oh we found out beyond a reasonable doubt which is what our whole justice system is based on you lied about this that's an entirely different standard than we can't prove the person that you've accused is guilty uh, that's you know it would have to be that the authorities but this does happen it does happen that there are cases where they figure out, oh, this was entirely fabricated. Uh, the Duke lacrosse case is one of them. Entirely fabricated. A woman lied about being gang raped by a bunch of lacrosse players and almost ruined their lives. I and mean, came very close to ruining their lives. So, indeed. Um, let's see what we have here. Next up. Uh, Martha. Can you tell me, beside the right to vote, are there any benefits to being a U.S. citizen? It's no longer the best passport for travel. We're the only country that taxes expats living abroad. I think we need to pass a law that citizens who are willing to give up citizenship to an illegal immigrant get a waiver for the exit fee they charge you when you give up citizenship. You know, Martha, you raise an interesting point, which is you know, what's, you know, uh, yeah, OK, you get to vote. But beyond that, I don't know. There are a lot of other places where it feels like you your citizenship is more highly prized by the state that gives it to you. I do think that is fair to say. All right, team, that is going to be it today here in the Freedom Hut. Thank you so much for hanging out. Great to have you with me, as always. We'll have some post-debate 
Deep dive stuff coming your way tomorrow. Happy viewing tonight. Shields high.